in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Love you. Come on, give Jesus praise this morning. Awesome. It's good to see you guys. As Pastor said, I was thinking when I was talking to the youth even, it really was an opportunity for me to really reflect back about where I was and where I am and everything that's happened between, and some of it's a little bit of a blur, but I think it was 18 years ago that I last stood in that youth room up there and spoke to the youth group. It was summer of 2004. I had just come back from my freshman year in college. Oh, boy. And who would have, who would have guessed? I could have never guessed that 20 years, I mean, it was a couple years before that, that I was part of a youth lock-in where we played hide-and-seek throughout the church. And even to this day, I was just meeting with some friends over in Perryville this week that were part of the youth group with me. And to this day, all of us say the thing that we remember the most is that game of hide-and-seek. So I would have never guessed that I'd be here 20 years in the sanctuary on my hands and feet (laughs) and throughout the church. This church has never failed to give me some of the best and most unique memories. I tell you what, from the, from the very beginning up till today. So thank you guys for that. You guys have really started a whole lot of things in my life. But probably the most recent news to share with you is, is this new book that just came out in April. This is the official Shut Up Devil book. My first book was called Silent Satan, so it's got kind of a similar sounding name, but a new publisher approached me about a couple years ago and they said, with, with the popularity of your app, which has now had over a quarter million downloads, with the popularity of that, would you be interested in writing a book with the title Shut Up Devil? And I said, yeah, because I've learned a whole lot. It would be a completely different book. So really this one goes through 10 lies that are behind every battle that you face. Because when you look at the things that you deal with in life, most of the things, when you really get to the root, when you get beyond the symptoms, and you really get to the root, it's that we've been believing lies. Lies from when life let us down, lies about our past, about our present, all kinds of things that cause the insecurity and the mind games and the things that we deal with. So God's favor's really been on this. A secular book reviewer, the leading one, it's called Publishers Weekly, they're ones that influence like the bookstore buyers, like the, the people that work for Barnes and Noble and Books A Million and Amazon. They are a magazine that influences those people to determine what to carry. And they randomly picked this book to review, which is, you know, doesn't necessarily mean they're going to write a good review. <laughs> and they picked this one, which is very rare, my publisher tells me, especially for a book published by a more charismatic Christian publisher. And the review really was very favorable. They ended up saying the, the last line of their review was, his relentless positivity and message of God's love is unmistakable. This is an engaging volume by an insightful storyteller and biblical interpreter. So you don't really get much better than that from a secular reviewer, right? And they got the message. I mean, they got the message. That's exactly what I wanted to come through. And the world got it, which I'm just so thrilled about that. And then just this last week, I had the opportunity to be on the program that James Robeson started, Life Today. Anybody happen to see me on that? Anybody in here? Yeah, some, a, a couple maybe in here. So I was on that, and that really just gave the book another boost. And I think when I looked at the numbers on Amazon, they've got these ratings, these bestseller ratings. And of charismatic Christian books, it was the, the third best-selling 
this week, and then of spiritual warfare books, I think it was in the top 12, and then of all of the, what they call spiritual growth books, which is just a huge category. It was like number 70 or 72 or something like that. So it's just really amazing what God's doing. And so I thank you all for what you started here and your support and your partnership in me with this. So it really is reaching people. So thank you all once again. The, the message that I'm going to give you today really kind of encapsulates my heart for this book. And so I've got a lot to say, so let's, let's pray and get started. Father, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here once again with friends and family here in Chester. I pray that you sensitize me to the people that are here, whether they're live or whether they're watching online, God. Would you take these words, Father, what you, that you've given me to prepare for, and even fresh words, Father, just may it all be a fresh word, God, that you translate by your Holy Spirit to speak so uniquely into the lives and the situations of each individual that's tuning in, God. We are expecting not just information, but application and transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, probably five or six years ago, I was in a movie theater, and I was watching one of those movies depicting the crucifixion of Jesus. And from the very beginning of this movie, I just remember this very annoying crackling throughout the speaker system. 15 minutes in, I mean, it was super annoying. 20 minutes in, I'm like, all right, I am getting up and I am telling a manager and I am getting my money back for this thing. I can't handle this anymore. And so I got up out of my seat intending to talk to that manager and I got to the edge of that row in the theater when I was stopped in my tracks by a thought or a word that just said, my story is always told through imperfect speakers. I walked myself back to my seat. I sat down and shut up. And I listened very closely through those imperfect speakers for the rest of the message or movie. My story is always told through imperfect speakers. You know, that word has come back to me probably time and time and time again as I have, have just been pursuing the call of God on my life and, and really sometimes arguing with God or, or wondering with God, saying, God, I'm not perfect enough. I'm not ready enough. I'm not fixed up enough. I'm not grown up enough to do what you're asking me to do. You know, if you could look or have a replay of my life's prayers, and I suspect a lot of your life's prayers, because doing this now for a decade in ministry for a decade, I realize this is kind of a common thing. You'd hear a lot of, how can I, Lord, when I don't have the money? How can I, Lord, when I don't have the abilities, when I don't have the strength, when I am not good enough, changed enough, grown up enough, perfect enough? Anybody, anybody relate with that kind of a prayer? Absolutely. Yeah. But for years I tried to be. Oh man, I really gave it my best shot. I mean, I really thought that the Christian life was really all about trying to be good enough and perfect enough and pleasing enough to God so that maybe I was ready for him to use me. Maybe I could twist his arm into giving me that blessing or that breakthrough or you know, just, just even keeping him loving me at times. 
If I just try hard enough. The problem is, is that the harder that I tried, the worse I actually felt. Because inevitably when your humanity shows up, you get a little glimpse of it and you mess up or you fall or you fail or whatever, then now on top of everything you got guilt and shame because the devil's there telling you, oh, look what you've done. Are you even a Christian? Try harder. I call it the crazy cycle of self-righteousness because that's what it is. The devil's right there telling you, Oh, if you'll just try harder, if you'll just achieve more, if you'll just do more, be more disciplined, more willpower, then maybe you'll get there. Then you can prove yourself. Then God will stay loving you and accepting you and be pleased with you and you won't be a disappointment. So you try and then inevitably something happens and then he's there, try harder. And around and around it goes until your Christian life is really about trying to prove yourself on why God should stay loving you and prove to stay in right standing with him and stay on his good side. And now maybe some of you might be thinking, as I've heard a lot from people, yeah, but doesn't, doesn't the Bible say, doesn't Jesus say something about be perfect, be holy as God is holy? And yes, he does. And so I'm gonna go through kind of what this means so we can get this all out of the way so we can get on with the message here. But Probably the clearest verse there that says that from Jesus is Matthew 5, 48. And Jesus says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So how do you explain that? I mean, it sounds so clear. Be perfect. Isn't that what God is calling us to do? Well, like anything, context is key. I mean, I don't care what book you're reading, but especially a book the size of the Bible. You know, it was written to a certain group of people at a certain time in specific circumstances. And yes, the miracle of scripture is how God takes all of that and he translates it to speak so uniquely to us. But really, if you're gonna apply it the best in your life, you gotta know the who, what, where, when, and why's of why it was written. And Jesus is speaking here in a larger passage. When he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, he's speaking here in a larger passage that you probably all know called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's speaking to a Jewish audience. And you have to understand, he's speaking to a people that had lived lives. I mean, it was ingrained in their minds of daily sacrifices and trying to live up to 613 different do's and don'ts and a whole lot of other ones that religion had put on them, thinking that what they did and what they do and all of this stuff is what would keep them accepted by God. And so he's really confronting them with this idea that was revolutionary to them that it's not about that. If you think that you're gonna stay good with God based upon everything that you do and how good you can possibly be, then you're gonna miss it. It's not about that. And so he goes on. If we kind of back up a little bit to the very beginning of that paragraph of what he's talking about in Matthew 5.43, we'll start to get a good understanding of what Jesus means by be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, which is very different than what I think a lot of the church has taught over the years. He says, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Now, I could really unpacked that verse there. And I have before and had a whole message out of it. But the one word that I want you to understand here is that word enemies. It's actually a word that Jesus used to mean anybody that's different than you. And I'm talking about culturally, politically. That's a hard one. 
religiously, anybody that walks, talks, thinks differently than you. And Jesus goes on to say, you do that in that way, you love those people, if you can manage to love those people, that's how you're gonna be showing yourself a true child of God. Not by all this external stuff. If you, can, if you can really have the heart of God towards people that aren't like you, that's how you're gonna show yourself to be a true child of God. And that was a huge message. I mean, that was a huge message. Maybe we don't quite get it, although I think that we should because it's huge in our lives too. But back then especially, I mean, those people thought that they're right standing with God and they thought that what God was asking them to do was to be so separated from everybody that they couldn't even be around the Samaritans, they couldn't even touch the lepers. And so Jesus is really causing them to be introspective and think, hmm, maybe, maybe it's not all about what I thought it was about. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus didn't go from undermining their reliance on behaviors to suddenly telling them to focus on it all the more and make their life all about that. That word perfect there is teleos, which means mature. It's complete. It's the root word of the word Jesus used. The final one he said on the cross when he said it is finished, that's to tell us die, meaning mission accomplished basically. So Jesus again is really saying, if you wanna have any goal, if you really want to be mature, if you really want to be accomplishing a mission, the one to do it would be to love people. And even that you're not gonna be perfect in, so don't go making a law and feeling bad if you're not loving people perfectly either. But that would be a good goal to have if you're gonna have anyone, is what Jesus is saying. But man, does the devil have a lot of people hoodwinked. Because when we make perfection out to be all about what we do and don't do, what we eat and don't eat, what we drink and don't drink, what we wear and don't wear, what we boycott, then really we're actually becoming quite the opposite often of what Jesus is saying there. Because really when we, when we make it all about all of that kind of stuff, what we actually become is very judgmental. And I can say that from experience because I was one of them for years. I talk often, I write in my books often about going through this phase really in my college years of thinking that I was part of the holiness police. And I thought that God was requiring all of this stuff of me in order to be a good Christian. So of course he was requiring it of you too. So I was just making sure that everybody that said they were a Christian was living up to their end of the deal. When truth is, I didn't really have much love or compassion for me, so I couldn't have it for other people. I was missing the point. So be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, is God saying, if you're gonna be mature, mature into the heartbeat of God for other people. Love other people. That's what it's about. Now, I have taken a lot of heat over this kind of a message, especially lately. I mean, it just amazes me, honestly. I can't really figure it out except for religion. I mean, it amazes me how much telling people that God loves people will offend people. Oh, man. Especially, 
I mean, all these armchair theologians on social media right now that comment and comment and comment. My publisher just, I'm a little late to the game, but they told me I needed to be on TikTok. And so I got on TikTok. And even just this, this week, I posted a video, and it's, it's, they're just clips of messages and broadcasts and things that I do. Like, I'm talking 40-second, 60-second clips, maybe at max. And I think the one I just posted on Thursday has gotten like 70,000 views over the weekend, and so that's pretty good. But the comments, I mean, people have, have I guess they just don't learn these days. You know, we used to we used to know that if you didn't have anything nice to say, you don't say it. But people don't do that behind a screen. People can be very mean behind a screen. So, you know, you just get to the point after a while where you don't even read them because they don't know you. But one lady, oh, she just about blew a gasket over it some months ago. She said, stop commonizing God. He is holy. I didn't say anything about God not being holy. And I would never say anything about him not being holy. I mean, I believe that. And I believe that he has called us to be the same way. But if you think holiness is about dressing like you've come off of a covered wagon, you're missing the point. And if you think holiness is related to how mad somebody can get, I think that's what a lot of people, I think that's what religion has taught over the years, is they have equated God's holiness with God's judgment. They have equated God's holiness with wrath and rage. And so they think any other message is him not being holy. But if that's the case, then you really don't even understand what holiness is because holiness simply really means uncommon. And I live in central Florida now. And we have this interstate that runs through it called I-4. Anybody been on I-4? Yeah. Well, let me tell you, it is not uncommon for people to have rage. It is not uncommon for people to be mad. I would say what is the most uncommon thing is for people to be loving despite what seems unlovable about somebody. I would say what's probably the most uncommon, the, holiness, the holiest thing about God is really that his very nature is love. The Bible says that God is love. It's his unconditional love that I would say is what sets him apart from everything else. That's how holiness is most demonstrated, is how we love people and let ourselves be loved by him. Are you with me here? But another reason why being perfect isn't all about not having weaknesses or not having imperfections or not having flaws or faults is because Jesus came. Now, what do I mean by that? Jesus came. Well, well, didn't Jesus come to set the bar for how we're supposed to live? To model it, set the bar so that we would follow it and be sinless like Jesus? Yes, Jesus absolutely lived a sinless life. But he didn't come to set a bar. The bar was set with law. You understand that. And that bar was really set to show us that you can't do it. It's really set to bring you to the end of yourself, not so that you might meet it. Religion keeps raising the bar, and the devil keeps trying to tell you, oh, you got you to higher and higher and higher. That's that crazy cycle of self-righteousness that I was telling you about. But, but Jesus came because he knew you couldn't do it. I mean, that's how merciful and how loving God is. Jesus came because he knew you couldn't do it, and really, God just was wanting to show you that you can't do it, that you need a Savior who did. 
The truth is the Christian life is not just hard to live, it's really impossible to live and God knew that it's impossible to live so Jesus lived the Christian life for you and now he just wants to live his life through you. That's really what it's about. And really that's what Jesus said, I mean in in that same passage in Matthew 5 where it's, you know, Sermon on the Mount. He says, I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't, I'm not removing the bar, but what I came to do is accomplish its purpose. I came to fulfill it. I came to pay what it required because I knew you couldn't. I knew you couldn't. It's, it's such a simple thought, and I've asked this a lot, and maybe it's so simple that it confounds the wise, or maybe people think that it's almost too good to be true, but that really is what the gospel is. But if, if behavioral and situational fleshly perfection were perfect, then why did Jesus have to come and die? I mean, set the law and have us, have us be able to accomplish it, and that would be it. Why did Jesus have to suffer? Because we couldn't do it. But if you don't know that, if you don't realize that, and you all in here should because this is what your pastor preaches, but if you're like me, maybe it's not gotten from your head to your heart. You know, you can hear something for years and it doesn't matter how much truth your pastors bring you day in and day out, week in and week out. Sometimes it doesn't get past here. If you don't know that Jesus came to do for you what you can't do for yourself, then you will spend your time, talent and treasure trying to prove something that Jesus already proved, trying to do something that Jesus already did, and trying to be someone that God already says you are in Christ. And you will die trying because it's impossible to do in your flesh, which is why Jesus said to find your completion in him. It's all about Jesus. I mean, if you haven't figured it out yet, it's all about Jesus. God's story is always told through imperfect speakers because first of all, it's all he's got. I mean, revelation, right? It's all he's got. And I'm not just talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. I mean, it's all he's got. We are all there. And because of that, Jesus came, the Bible says, so that those imperfections would no longer be counted against you, so that they would no longer hold you back, so that they would no longer define you, so that they would no longer separate you from God. This is the heart of the gospel. I mean, if if you want a truth that shuts down the enemy's attacks, threats, lies, and accusations, this is it. It's 2 Corinthians 5.19. Paul, he's talking about the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He's talking about what Jesus accomplished on the cross and he says, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Get this, no longer counting people's sins against them. Now, that is a huge verse and you cannot possibly get all the revelation of that in just one setting here. That's just something you could take home and you could reflect on probably for the rest of your life and be getting more things and more implications about what all of that means. But you really could replace that word sins with imperfections, with weaknesses, with flaws, with faults, with failures, because it's anything that God is not God's best. And what he's saying there is because of Jesus.
Your imperfections, your flaws, your faults, your weaknesses are no longer being held against you if you know Jesus, if you've said yes to him. And I love how the verse goes on. He says, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. That's peace with God. That's restored relationship with God. Now, some people, they look at me cross-eyed when I say something like this, or the religious people want to show me their butts, and they'll say, but what about this? But what about this? But what about this? And I say, this is really the message of the gospel. I mean, this is really the theme. If you're going to talk about anything, this is really what the New Testament is showing us. This is what the angels announced at the birth of Christ. Maybe you know this from a Christmas card or something, but they sang glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. They were announcing the one has come who has come to bring peace between God and men once and for all. This is the message that John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus coming at his time for baptism, John 1.29, it's, it's 13 words that have been called the greatest sermon ever preached. John saw Jesus and he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What he was doing was saying, behold the one who has come to take away the imperfections, to take away the weaknesses, to take away the flaws, the faults, and the failures so that they no longer are counted against us, so they no longer mean anything about us, so they no longer can hold us back, so they no longer count us out. Behold that. Now, is that a license to sin? No, I'm not saying that. I've never said that. I won't say that. But what it is, it's a license to be loved as a human being who every day falls short of the glory of God. It's a license to be a work in progress without the condemnation. What Jesus came, what his grace provided is permission to be imperfect. And really, this isn't, isn't really even all a New Testament thing. I mean, you see God's character of grace all throughout the Bible if you really look. I mean, isn't what amazes us about the stories in the Old Testament about how time and time and time again God chooses and uses even famously flawed people. Like, I mean, people, people who, yes, flawed according to their own choices and their own behaviors, but also flawed according to the culture and the times that they were in. I mean, time and time again, God proves to us, even in the Old Testament, how he does not choose people the way people did or do. He said this with David. I mean, he came out right out and said this with David. David was selected as king of God's people. And nobody thought he would be the one selected. As a matter of fact, when Samuel was going to Jesse's sons to select from Jesse's sons, they presented all the sons except for David because David was the youngest. And in that time, the youngest wasn't supposed to get anything. No inheritance, no nothing. So surely God wasn't going to do that. But yet that's exactly who God chose. And in choosing David, God came out and said, people look at outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Moses, I mean, he argued with God when God said, lead my people out of Egypt and into the promised land. I can't do it, God. I don't talk right. Yet that's exactly who God chose. 
imperfect, flawed. We, Gideon's one of my favorite stories. You know Gideon's story? He was, he was hiding. He was in hiding. He was working in hiding. When God showed up and said, I want you to deliver my people from the enemies called the Midianites at that time, the very people he was hiding from, God showed him and said, mighty hero the Lord is with you, which is pretty funny because he was not in a situation that looked anything like a mighty hero, but yet that's what God called out of him. That's who God said he was. And he said, I can't do it. I'm, I'm the weakest in my tribe. And God said, go, I am sending you. Like you. Like who you are as you are. Go, I am sending you. And God didn't tell him to go get fixed up enough to get ready. Now he tried that. He went and built an army of 30 some thousand people. He tried like most of us would do when God calls you. Now I gotta get perfect enough. I gotta get ready enough. And God said, no, I want you to go in your weakness. And he went in his weakness and God proved his strength. And those are just a few examples out of the Old Testament. I mean, how much more do you think that God does this now that Jesus came to no longer count those things against us? Maybe that's why in choosing the 12 around him and the people to really kickstart the early church, he chose a bunch of outcasts and misfits to turn the world upside down. God has always, his character has always been all throughout scripture and all the more today because of Jesus. He chooses people according to grace. Grace is what qualifies them. Grace is what establishes them. Grace is what empowers them. And he still does the same today. You know, if I might just be a little bit vulnerable here, and I don't, I don't say this to provoke any kind of response out of anybody. I've got a point here with this, but even me standing here, having done some of the things that I've done in ministry and just the opportunities that God has given me, which have been really incredible. Like I said, just this last week I was on TV and I've been on a bunch over the last years. I just got to write my third book and there's more to come. And there's just, God has just, just done a whole lot because of his grace. But at one point, or at many points really, throughout what I do, I have almost been apologetic. And I, I would say to God, out of the places that I came from, like even, even a church like this, out of the people that I came out of, surely God, there would have been a better person in this unique ministry that you have given me. Surely, God, there would have been somebody that would have fit the mold a little bit better. Surely there would have been somebody that would have been a little bit more normal that you could have chose for this thing. And God has since shown me why he chooses especially imperfect people and what he does with those things, which I'll get into in just a few minutes here. But the point of me saying that is I suspect that there are some of you in here who you're battling, discounting thoughts about yourself to. There are probably some of you in here that you have been almost apologetic that you're the one that's got the job, that you're the one that's got the role, that you're the one that's got the life. Maybe some of you have said, God, why didn't you choose a less 
flawed person to be the child of my parent? Or God, why didn't you choose a less flawed person to be the parent of my children? Maybe some of you are in here and you've even completely discounted yourself from pursuing the dream or the call or the role. Because you've said to God, with the things that I've done, with the things that I feel, with the things that I face, why would you ever waste your grace on someone like me? And I'm here to tell you that it's precisely because of his grace that he'd choose and use somebody like you. And I'm talking about you. Like, I'm not talking over you. I'm talking about you with the past of pain and promiscuity. I'm telling you that God chose you. I'm telling you that you who believe you've always been a mistake to your parents, that nobody's ever wanted you, God chose you. I'm telling you that you that feel like you've got something in your life that makes you not belong, that something's in your life that makes you someone who is wrong, God chose you. You who have believed all your life and been told all your life that you are nothing but a failure, you'll never succeed, God chose you. Why would he do that? Why would you do that, God? Why wouldn't he do that? If what the angels announced was true, if what John the Baptist said was true, if what the apostle Paul confirmed was the result of the cross, that Jesus came to no longer count our imperfections against us, then why wouldn't God do that? Because there's nothing standing against you anymore. If you've said yes to Jesus, there's nothing standing against you anymore. I'm telling you, Romans 3.22 says that anybody who has believed has been made right in God's sight. So you are as right sitting here as the person that didn't have the trauma in their past. You are as right in God's sight as the person that grew up with the perfect family or the person that you think has the perfect family today. You are as right in God's sight as the people that don't have those symptoms and don't have those struggles. Christ writes you despite you. It's the gospel message. And if you'll let it, like if you'll really let God love you to heal you of the shame of imperfections and the shame of weaknesses, and really that's what this message is about. I mean, really, that's what I'm getting at here. If you can can really receive God's love through that, then I'm telling you, God will use those things that you thought counted you out to count you in. He will turn those things into your unfair advantage. I was talking to the youth about this just this weekend. He will take those weaknesses and turn them into strengths. You know, those people that I went through from the Old Testament, in the book of Hebrews, it mentions some of them in this Faith Hall of Fame, and it says that God took their weakness and they became their strength. Didn't, it wasn't replaced by strength, God actually turned that very weakness into strength, into their unfair advantage. He'll do the same for you. If you'll let him love you through it, He'll do the same for you. I'm telling you, I have seen it time and time again. One of the ways God will do it is he'll actually take those imperfections and make you more impactful with them than without them. 
Part of the reason is, is because a lot of the things that we don't like about ourselves or we hate about ourselves that we think is the devil, we're fighting the devil over, we're really fighting God over because he's the one that designed us that way. I talk a lot about my personality and my introverted personality and how I used to thought that was or think that was the devil growing up and holding me back and finally God said I made you that way and so when I finally embraced myself I've realized that's really the source of how I write my books that's really the source of why I dig for the insights that I do to bring out messages like that it's become my strength but I had to finally get okay with it I had to finally get okay with me. I've got a friend from college that for years he, they actually, I think he said called him Tigger because of how he'd bounce around like Tigger and Winnie the Pooh because he had this, just this high level of ADHD. And it wasn't until his graduate school, I think, that they finally diagnosed it. And so all along the road in education, he would have professors that would say things like, do you have a learning disability? And they'd even say, maybe you shouldn't go into the profession that you're going into. Today, he's a high school teacher. And he got medicated and he did the things that he needed to do, I guess, but it still doesn't make him somebody that's great at writing lesson plans, much less following them. But yet in his weakness, he went. And in his weakness, he actually went on to become a very creative and out-of-the-box teacher that the students absolutely love and respect, and they named a teacher of the year for his entire county, and he just keeps winning awards because it's just made him to be something that he wouldn't be without that so-called imperfection. I am convinced he's better with it than without it. You know, even this week, I just had a real good example of how God does this just a simple thing really but I had the opportunity recently to interview Dave and Joyce Meyer's daughter Sandra and Sandra just really in the last decade if you haven't heard her story she wrote a book called I tried until I almost died and Sandra really got a revelation of grace I mean radical and and just overcoming perfectionism and things like that. So that's what we talked about in the interview. It was really about overcoming perfectionism and the need to strive and all of that stuff. And I probably watched that interview. It released just this last week on my podcast and stuff. And I probably watched that interview with the different edits and stuff along the way, I don't know, a dozen times. And leave it up to one of the commenters on social media to find something that I didn't see in it. Because in that interview, there was a point where I read a quote from her book. And after the quote, I said, wow, that just sounds like a breath of fresh air. And then I repeated it like um, 30 seconds later or something like that. And I was speaking a little bit faster and I mixed up the words and I said, that really sounds like a fresh of breath air. And somebody mentioned that in one of the comments and I did not catch that the whole time and years ago that would have just I would have eaten myself up over that I oh no I'm not good enough for this look at that stupid mistake that I made I can't let anybody see this but you know what I just did now I actually highlighted the mistake and I actually wrote a comment below the YouTube video and I said yes I know that I mixed up my words and said 
fresh of breath there instead of breath of fresh air. And I said, I think it's just probably appropriate in a message about overcoming perfectionism that that happened. And the funny thing is, is that since, and I pinned it so that it's like at the top of all the comments. And so the funny thing is, is since I pinned it, it's actually upped the average view time of that video because people are just now going through the video to see where I set it at. But God used even that imperfection to get people's attentions and that's what he does with this type of stuff. I mean, you look at anybody that really has achieved any kind of level of so-called success and it's when they finally leaned into those things that they thought were wrong about them or they thought were weak about them and they embraced those things. I mean, even Oprah finding her strength for interviewing, or Thomas Edison, how he created the light bulb. It was all of these things, failures and faults that they finally leaned into, and that's when they found their strength. But also, if you really want to have the ability to do, as we said earlier, to be perfect as God is perfect in loving people like he does, if you really want to have the ability to do that. I mean, as, as far as humans are concerned, the best way to build compassion and empathy for people, different people, is really to look at yourself and see what God has forgiven you of and see what God loves you in spite of. And that will actually help you whether you can understand their story or not, whether you face what they face or not, that will actually help you love people that you don't understand what they're going through. You know, I've got this annual pass for the House of Mouse down there in Orlando, and that place can be a real great grace tester, I'm telling you, because you all know that there are people from every walk of life there and literally people of every kind of walk in life, like literally. And it would be very easy to look at people in a place as diverse as that and write them out of even potentially being part of the family of God. It would be very easy to look at people and even write them out of being made in the image of God. But when you know what God has forgiven you of, what you know he loves you despite the things that are unlovely about you, that's when you can actually love people that you don't even understand that's when you will get the best chance of actually getting close to that goal of loving people like God does. I mean, this just did wonders for me in my life in ministry when I finally took a good, long, hard look at me. That's when the compassion and the empathy rose up for people that I don't understand, for people that have been through things that I've never been through. And it's brought life instead of legalism to my counsel and my preaching. And I'm just convinced this ministry that God has given me is far more impactful now with my imperfections than without them. Because it really can bring me down to the level of struggling people, which is really where ministry happens. It doesn't happen in the ivory towers being all high and mighty standing up here. It happens when you get down there and you can really relate to people, especially today. But the other thing that God does through imperfections is that they really have, have a power unlike any other to show his goodness and his power. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 
It's this passage that a lot of people haven't understood for a long time. I didn't. I actually argued with it, with God about it. And it's Paul where he, he breezes over these supernatural experiences that he had. I mean, really cool things that you would love to talk about, being caught up into heaven. And, and he says they're worthy of being talked about, yes, but I'm not going to do it. He said, instead, I'm going to boast in my weaknesses. And he actually goes through this thing called a thorn in the flesh. And people have tried to figure out what that is over the years. And nobody really knows except we know it wasn't given by God. Paul calls it a messenger of Satan. But it could have been one of his haters. It could have been a headache. It could have been a co-worker. It could have been a mother-in-law. Except Paul didn't have a mother-in-law. He wasn't married. But, you know, it, maybe in your case. But it didn't matter. He says, three times, I beg God, take this away from me. And three times God replied, my grace is all you need. Three times God's response to take this away, get this out of my life was grace. And I said, God, I mean, especially back when I was really thinking that it was always God's will just to fix everything that we think is wrong with us. I, I'm like, God, why would you do this? And God said, my grace is equally as miraculous as the removal of everything. I said, God, how can that be? And he said something that really opened my eyes and healed me in a lot of ways and changed me and really been a, kind of a theme of the ministry now and how I, how I minister. He said, my grace is the miracle of my perfect presence, entering and upholding human imperfection with a strength to press through what the enemy meant to subdue. That's a meaty word that you might have to think about for a little bit like I did. My grace is the miracle. God's grace is the miracle of his perfect presence entering us, broken people, human imperfection, giving us a strength to press through all the things the enemy put on us that he meant to subdue us with, meant to hold us back with. And some people hear that word grace. My grace is all you need. My grace is sufficient. And they say, I don't know what to do with that. It's a vague word. What do I do with grace? And if you don't know what to do with grace, then you're actually on the right track because grace is being right with God despite what you do. Grace is also God's empowerment despite your lack of power. In other words, grace is showing up surrendered to God just as you are and then letting him work and watching him work through who you are. And I'm telling you, there is nothing to me that is more encouraging and there is nothing that shows the goodness and the power of God more than people who have a story like Gideon or Moses who persevere through weakness, who know that God is good, that God is loving through weakness. Because it shows other imperfect people, which are all of us. It shows other imperfect people that the same God that is upholding me will also uphold you. It also shows other imperfect people that the things that you think limit you and define you and will defeat you don't have to limit you, define you, and defeat you. And I'm telling you, that to me is more encouraging and that to me is more relatable 
these days. And if God just were to just make us all perfect. I heard, I don't know where I heard it from, but I heard a quote that I really think is true. I mean, the more that I do ministry and I I come across people and the messages that I get in my digital inboxes and things these days from people of every walk of life, the quote was that if we're really going to reach this next generation, we're gonna have to let this grace thing get out of hand. I mean, it's easy in our church bubbles to think that everybody even has a level of understanding of the Bible or Christianity. But I'm telling you, we are now entering a time in generations where people don't even have a clue. And the first thing that they really need to know is that God loves them. Because they have been raised in families where they have been shown a father that isn't good. And they need to know the goodness of God. After all, that's what the Bible says. It is the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. We need to show people how they're made in the image of God. We need to show people how he loves them. And that's really what I've kind of made this ministry be about. And that's really what the Shut Up Devil book is about, is renewing your mind according to the truth that God loves you. You know, I will have people that will tune into my broadcast now and read my books and use my media that would never step into a church because of one reason or another. But they will come because they can be anonymous behind a screen where there's nobody that is wondering, why are you like you are? Why aren't you this way? Why aren't you that way? And they can just receive the love of God and let that start whatever healing it's going to do in their life. There is a real power in that. More than I ever knew for many years, God's love really does the work in people's life. It was designed that way, if we'll let it do the work in their lives and in our lives. So really, I just came to bring you a sigh of relief. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. You can... Let yourself off the treadmill of trying to accomplish and trying to please and being afraid that you're going to be a disappointment to God. You can't be a disappointment to God. As I told the youth yesterday, he knew everything about you. Your life is recorded in his book, Psalm 139 said. That means he saw the good, the bad, and the ugly of your life. He saw the messes that you would make. Nothing can surprise him about you, which means nothing can disappoint him about you. You have permission to be imperfect. You have permission to be a work in progress. You have permission to be human because of Jesus. Because God saw everything, he, he's not surprised by your two steps forward, one step back journey, or even your two steps forward, three or four steps back journey. What you think isn't right about you doesn't change God's mind about you if you've said yes to Jesus. It doesn't. Now, the devil will always try to tell you it does. Heads up. I mean, that, as I said, that's why this really encapsulates my shut up devil message is because the devil will always try to tell you it does and all he's got, all the evidence that he can provide is your imperfections and your weaknesses. That's it. He can't change God's mind, so he tries to change your mind. 
Because you only rise to the level of who you believe you are. So he tries to change your mind. But what you need to know when he does, I mean, if, there's, if there is one sentence or truth that you get out of this message today that you leave this with, what I want you to hear is that because of grace, because of Jesus, the current version of you, as you're sitting right there, the current version of you is qualified for what God brings you to, is qualified for what God asks of you, is qualified for what God calls you to. The current version of you is qualified for whatever God has for you. And it's all because of Jesus. Come on church, is that good news for you or what? That is good news, that is the good news. Let's give God some praise here. Give him some praise. The current version of you is qualified. Now, I'd love for us all just to bow our heads just for a minute. I just want to take the opportunity. If there's somebody in here that you don't know Jesus, you haven't said yes to Jesus, you're sitting on your imperfections, feeling like they do count you out, that your, your sins are not forgiven, that God is mad at you, there's anybody in here, I just want you to know that the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if, if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, that he's God's son, that he died on the cross to forgive you of your sins and make you right with God, if you believe that and proclaim that he is your Lord, the Bible says you're saved. That's the process where your sins are no longer counted against you. Your imperfections, faults, and flaws are no longer meaning anything about you can no longer separate you. So if, if you're in here and you've never said yes to that, you've never said yes to Jesus, would you just raise your hand? Anybody in here? Anybody in here? All you have to do, yes, I see your hand. You can just pray with me right now. It's simple. Don't let anybody make this out to be so complicated. It's simple. Just say, God, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sin to crucify it and kill its power. To take it away from me. And I believe he came to make me your righteousness, to make me right with you. I receive that, God. I receive your grace. And because of it, I believe that you now call me a child of God, that I am saved and I am set free from those things that try to define me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The Bible says your belief has made you right. And now God, with the power of his Holy Spirit, will show you the way from then on out. Just leave it up to him and let yourself be loved. Amen. Well, Father, I thank you so much for, for your love and your grace, God. And Father, for anybody that might be battling, feeling not enough, not perfect enough, not ready enough, Lord, I pray that they would just receive these words and take these words with them and that it would empower them, Father, to know that because of Jesus, they are good enough. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.
Well, before I go, let me just tell you really how I can help you beyond this message. And that's through the resources that our ministry provides. And we've got a lot of the, the teachings and, and books and e-courses, even t-shirts back there. But probably the one that's most helpful according to this message is the message of this book here, Shut Up Devil. Silencing the 10 lies behind every battle you face. I go through lies like you can't be forgiven. You don't belong. You have no purpose. You're a failure. You're disqualified. You need to be somebody else. I go through those lies and I bring strategic truth. That's what you do. That's how you counter a lie. You got to bring truth to it. So I do that in this book. And also kind of a companion to this book, we only have maybe a handful of these out there, is this Think on These Things journal, where I really take you through scriptures about God's love and about God's grace, 30 days of them, and go through a mind renewal process to help you really get it into you and personalize it to you in a way that really lets God's love change you, really lets, lets God's love do the work in you. So I would love to sign these for you. I'd love to say hello to you. And I just thank you so much once again, Grace Church. It's always good to be back with friends and family. And it's always good to be crawling on the floor around here for hide and seek too. So I'm back for that at any time. But thank you guys once again. God bless you all. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Let's, let's bless him. Let's give. Uh, let's help his ministry move on down the road. If you're writing checks, write them to Grace Church and we'll, everything will go to him. Uh, I'll give you a few moments. What an awesome message. That's the kind that we need to get the podcast and listen to it over and over and over and over and over. Uh, his last book he talked about, folks, what you think is what you're going to be. So you got to renew this thing right here. Word tells us that to renew the mind. So let's uh, need cash envelope. Anybody? Yeah, team, come on up. Let's go ahead, Father. We thank you. We thank you for the word. We thank you for Kyle's ministry. It's, it's so exciting to see uh, fruit come from this church and and be so powerful in what you're doing in his life. And thank you, Lord. He's got a handle on knowing that your grace is sufficient through everything he does in his life. We trust in you, Lord, and we thank you that we can be a part by giving to this ministry. We give you all the praise, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and get the buckets started. Yeah. Thank you. God's good. Let's give the buckets a few moments to move through, and then we'll get up and close with the song. Go out and check his books out. I start on Shut Up Devil, didn't get it quite finished, and Neil stole it from me. He's got it. Uh, it's good. Uh, it's good. What a way to bring the message of grace out today. It's so, it's so true, folks. Listen, he knows the mess you are. I had someone say earlier, have you wrote a book yet? And I'd say, well, it'd be backwards because my dyslexia. And then this message told me, boy, isn't that the truth? He uses even me. Uh, God's good. Couldn't even pass speech class in high school. And he's got me up here talking for 37 years now. It's only God. Only God. Let's stand. And Father, we thank you. We're going to close out, Father, with a song. Father, thank you for the words of this song. Thank you, Lord, that you are so into everything that's going on. We trust in you because you already know what tomorrow holds and already has us set up and taken care of. We trust in you, Father, in Jesus' name. 
Amen.
thank you, Father. Thank you that we are loved by you. Father, we just give you all the praise this morning. We thank you for everything that's going on because you have got it all in control. We give you the praise, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Call you blessed. You are dismissed. Need prayer for anything. We'll be up front.